0: Good evening. My name's Tim. I'm part of the team that leads Grace Church. Um, We, as I think you heard earlier, are taking a short break from our series in one Peter over the next couple of weeks. Um, And this evening, I particularly want to talk about a big question that the Bible asks us. So that the kind of question where, when you're asked it, it's like the world narrows, and you know that your answer to the question is going to change things for you. Think about, like... And perhaps in that job interview that Martin was just describing, there was a moment when he was asked, why do you want this job? It's the kind of question you get asked. And the world narrows, and you think, actually, the way I answer this is going to, in some way, change my life, or the way it's going to go. Or maybe if, you were, uh, if someone knelt down in front of you and said, will you marry me? Which hopefully would not be out of the blue, <laughs> because that's really odd. Um, LAUGHTER but let's assume it was expected, but still, your answer to it is in some way going to change the course of your life. Or um, you've got yourself onto a game show, perhaps, and you're asked to pick between door two and door 3 Your You're right, your answer, potentially, is going to change the course of your life. Or, as I had this week, you know, you've you walked into the sandwich shop, and, and there's no queue, which is always terrible, because I've not been in there before, you don't know what you want to order. Uh, <laughs> And the woman behind the counter looked at me and sort of smiled and expected me to tell her what I wanted. And I'm thinking, oh, i was thinking, I would have no idea. And he just picked something. And then, you know, my answer to the question, well, I probably only did take the course of my lunchtime, but still, I didn't pick the right thing. It was, just, it was, a, it was a shame. Um, the rest of them, at least, the questions on which the world turns. My sandwich, perhaps only, like I say, only my lunchtime turned on it. Uh, Oh, well. Uh, I would like us to look at a, a question that Paul asked in Acts chapter 19, that for the people he asked it to, and perhaps for you as well, it kind of made the world turn. So I'm going to read from Acts chapter 19, just starting in verse 1. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we've not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then? Were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. So Paul asks them this question, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? One of those questions on which the world turns. Where their answer to it dictated the course of the rest of their life. So first of all, I'd like us to... There's three things just from that question itself that we can learn. Uh, all of them probably sound quite obvious, but I think all of them quite helpful. The first one, the question has to make sense. Did you receive the Spirit when you believe? It must make sense. He's not, Paul's not arriving, finding this group of men, whoever they actually were, and saying something like, which one of you is a hippopotamus? He's not asking them nonsense. He's he's not saying something like, did you receive your driving license when you were born? You know, like a trick question. Something to which the answer is obviously no. Uh, He's not doing that. It's not nonsense. It's not a trick question. And it's not saying something kind of circular like, did you become a Christian when you became a Christian? Now, Paul isn't Dr. Zeus. He's saying something that, that has meaning. He's asking them a question, which means that if it must make sense, that it's possible to believe without receiving the Spirit. For that question to make sense, it must be possible to believe, to have chosen to follow Jesus, to have put your trust in Jesus and believes that, because of what he's done on the cross and because of his resurrection from the dead, you will be free from all the things that bind you and be know where you're going and have an eternity with him. To have done all that and yet not have received the Spirit must be possible for his question to make sense. What do I mean when I say receiving the Spirit? So Jesus... Uh, Back before, when he was in his ministry on earth, before he died and rose again, he taught his disciples that he would leave them. And that there was coming a day when he wouldn't be with them anymore, but he would send to them a helper, is how how he worded it. He would send to them the Holy Spirit. And that that would be better for them than when he was with them. Because it would mean not just that kind of God was embodied in man, made himself flesh, but instead that God lived inside every single one of them. And then after he died and risen back to life, he spent about 40 days teaching his followers and commanded them to go out into all the world and tell everyone about what Jesus had done for them and what Jesus could therefore do for everyone that they spoke to. But he said, don't go until you've received the Spirit told them to wait. It was about 10 days they had to wait in the end. But he told them to wait until the Spirit came to them. And then after Jesus had ascended back to heaven and was seated then at the right hand of the Father, been seen by all the universe as Lord of everything, been exalted, the first thing that he did, his first act was to pour out his Spirit on his people. So he thought it was very important having told them to wait, and then the first thing that he did, that they received the Spirit before they went and did what he'd commanded them to. So that's the first thing. It must make sense that someone could have chosen to follow Jesus and yet not had that happen to them. The second thing that we learn just from the question is um, they'd know. They would know. As in, they could answer it. Not only must the question make sense, but they would actually have to be able to answer it. So they would know whether or not the answer was yes or no. Which means that receiving the Spirit is an experience. It's something that you know has happened to you. Um, and it's not, it's not like if you asked me, if you came to my home and you said, do you own this house? C- can, you, can you prove to me that you own this house? I... Because actually, just by watching me and my kind of experience of it, you wouldn't find that out, because I live there. doesn't mean I own it. I'd have to go and kind of get the deeds out, I guess, or the things that they give you when you buy something that says that you've bought it. Or I guess you could look it up on... Is it the land registry? I think you can look it up online, who owns stuff. But I would, I would essentially have to go and find it written down somewhere. It is not like that with receiving the Spirit. Sometimes we can think it is. It's like, I have to go and look in here and say, have I... Well, it says I have, so it must be true. That's a good principle to work on. If it says it in here, it must be true. But it's not that kind of thing, receiving the Spirit. It's not only that kind of thing. So it's not like, do you own this house? It's a bit more like, I've come home, it's raining out, and you say, oh, did you get wet? If I said, let me just check on the rain registry, (laughs) what does it it say? Uh, Tim is wet. Yes. Yeah, I got wet. (laughs) obviously ridiculous, but I would, I would go, yeah, I'm wet, because I can tell I'm wet, because I can feel I'm wet. It's that kind of thing. You know, because it's happened to you. It's an experience. It's something that has happened, and so you would know whether or not you have. So everyone sat here, if you follow Jesus, you know right now the answer to the question, have you received the Spirit? Now, some people might actually think, I'm not sure. Now, there's lots of reasons that I suppose that might be true, but that probably means for most people that you haven't, because it's an experience. It's something that you, that you would know has happened. And the third thing we can learn just from the question is um, Paul could tell. So it must make sense. They would know, and he could tell, by which it doesn't actually tell us in the passage quite how he'd got to asking the question, but he must have had a reason for asking. So he's turned up in this place called Ephesus. He's met these these 12 slightly confusing men who are described as disciples, and for some reason he thought he'd ask them this. I'd be very surprised if this was his normal in, because it's, it's actually quite a strange question in, in Acts. It would be really odd to find someone who was a Christian, who was following Jesus and had not received the Spirit. So my guess, and it is a guess, but my guess would be that he has chosen to pray with them. because That seems to be generally what he did when he found some believers in a new place. And that something about the way that they prayed and worshipped Jesus together made him think, uh, "Just something's a bit different here. I wonder. I wonder if you haven't had the spirit. And then he asked. So when I say he could tell, I guess I mean he could suspect. It's not like it was written on their foreheads. But I think something about them made him ask the question. Perhaps, again, I'm guessing, but perhaps it just wasn't much freedom or joy about the way that they worshipped or prayed. Perhaps there, there weren't the gifts, the kind of tongues and prophecy, that sort of thing, in action when they prayed. I, that would be my guess. But whatever it was, he could suspect. And all these three things are true about us as well. So they're true for ye. Receiving the Spirit is still separate to believing. Now, see, ideally, it would happen at the same time. That's, that's the ideal is that you meet Jesus for the first time, and then someone lays hands on you, you receive the Spirit. There's absolutely never any need to wait. But sometimes that isn't what happens. And so it is possible for them to be separate. And it might be that some of you here are followers of Jesus who have not received the Spirit. And it's also true for you that you would know. You know. Whether or not that's happened to you. And it's true that we can, well, we can tell, we can suspect. It's not written on your forehead. If i spent some time with you, you might be able to make a decent guess. Or at least enough to ask the question. Anyway, because that's what Paul's doing. He's not, uh, he may not have known, but he's suspected. <coughs> so that's the question for you today. Have you received the Spirit? And if the answer is no, or I'm not sure, then a little bit later on when I finish talking, we will create an opportunity for that to happen for you. And for people, if you'd like, for people to lay hands on you. And then you will receive the Spirit. And you will know. So, it's, um, this passage that I read out is actually a little bit odd as it develops. It's a little bit confused. I'm not going to kind of get into all the detail of it, but we uh, haven't got, got time today. But it's a bit unclear exactly who these people are. Uh, they're described as disciples in the book of Acts. That would normally mean Christians, but then they make this really odd, bizarre statement about uh, not knowing that there is a Holy Spirit. Um, which doesn't really make any sense for Christians or for Jews. They all would have done. Uh, and, and there's lots of ways you can potentially translate that. But the important thing to notice is, whoever they were at the point that Paul asked the question, he then talks to them a little bit, and then he baptises them. So by the time he gets around to baptising them, he is sure that they have encountered Jesus, whatever's happened in those verses. And then after he baptises them, he, lay hand, he lays hands on them, they receive the Spirit, And then in this example, at least, they speak in tongues and they prophesy. So something happens that everyone else could see, or at least that that was clear that something had happened, something was obvious. And for them, as for you, this is one of those world-turning moments. Do you want to open door two or door three? Did you receive the Spirit when you believed? And it is available for you today. He is available for you today. You can encounter God in a personal way. The God that we worshipped earlier, the God with love that we sung of, who came to get us, the God who rules everything and controls the world and whose power is uh, unending. You can encounter him in a personal, intimate way, actually so that he comes and lives inside of you, in your being, in your head, in your heart and that you would know that God lives with you it might be worth helpful uh, it might be excuse me it might be helpful to clarify uh, this thing that i've called receiving the spirit we sometimes call it baptism in the spirit we mean the same thing um, i'm just using the language that's in the passage i've read from it's not a high watermark it's not it doesn't mean that you've arrived. I think sometimes we can talk about it in a way that's very not helpful, and that makes it sound like it's sort of once you've had this encounter, you've arrived. You've kind of you're there. You've sort of you've got everything from Jesus. That's not right. We can talk about it like um, like something like a driving test where before you've done your driving test, you, uh, you're not legally allowed to drive on your own, and afterwards you are. You've, you've received the power of driving, and if only, um, and, and then you're allowed to. Or maybe when you turn 18, and a you know, number of things that you were not legally allowed to do the day before that suddenly you're legally allowed to do, you know, vote by alcohol, etc. Um, we can talk about it like that, like it's sort of a moment after which everything changes, but kind of like a one-time thing. And I think that's that helpful. Maybe it's a little bit more like learning to swim or learning to ride a bike or something like that, where it comes to a point when you're learning to swim where actually you can swim. Probably not after the first lesson, but you know you can swim. Not necessarily that well. And mostly, you don't stop going to lessons at that point because you find that more makes you, kind of makes you stronger and you're able to do it better. And that's not the best analogy because we're not, as we encounter God, we're not, um, we're not kind of learning but receiving the Spirit is supposed to be an invitation to a life of encounters with God. It's supposed to be the first of many. See, the Christian life is supposed to be characterized by felt, experienced encounters with the living God. That's what it's meant to be like. That is the normal Christian life. That we would, uh, Paul puts it in Ephesians, he says, go on being filled with the Spirit that we would have encounter after encounter after encounter with God and know his love in our hearts and find it changing us and know his power in our lives and find it, it changing us. That we would know his presence with us all of the time. And I can say something like that, and some of you might be thinking it's something like, well, it's all right for you, Tim. Almost as though, you know, that's all right for kind of super-Christians or something like that. I'm I'm glad that you laugh, actually. I appreciate that. Because I'm in no means uh, any sort of super-Christian. But the normal Christian life following Jesus is that we would know the presence of God with us. And that it is available that we can know the presence of God with us actually all the time. And yeah, with with peaks, where there are moments when we encounter God and it's like he's in the room. It's like you're stood in front of him. But actually, just knowing his presence all the time is, is the normal Christian life and is available for everyone. So receiving the Spirit, really important, but it's not like, I'm done. It's more like, I've started. And so that's what we're talking about today. But for those of you who have received the Spirit, well, you've started. Let's press on. Let's encounter more of God. Let's know his love in our hearts. Let's find that we are increasingly, moment by moment, aware of his presence dynamically with us. And if you, if you ever feel like you don't know that God is with you, or you don't know that, that God loves you, I mean, you know, because like it says it, which, which actually is, is perfectly valid. It's a helpful place to start. It's like, well, it says that God loves me, and this book is true, so it must be true. That's good thinking. You know, it says that God is with me, so it must be true. But, so you know it, but you kind of like, you don't, you don't know it, you don't feel it. If that's you, well, this is how you do. Receiving the Spirit is how you do. It's how you not only know, it says that God loves me. Wow. But also I know that God loves me because I felt his love in my heart. The love that, actually the overflow of created everything that you can see. Not even the love that created, just kind of the leftover bits, if there was such a thing, after the father's loved the son, just kind of the overflow That just makes everything. That love, knowing that in your heart, If you've responded to the gospel, if you've met Jesus, if you've put your trust in him and are following him, well then, receive. Receive the Spirit if you haven't. It is available for you. And there's lots of things the Bible says about what that encounter is. But fundamentally, it's about being loved. And the rest of it flows from that. Power and gifting and boldness and passion all kind of come from the fact that we discover that God loves us and continue again and again to encounter him and discover that actually, <laughs> he actually does love me. And it seems to have nothing to do with me. He just loves me. And then every time finding out, wow, I thought, I thought I kind of had some grasp of how much he loved me, but I don't. It's more than I thought. And again, every time discovering that that's the case. It's about knowing that you're loved. It's about, sometimes we might call it assurance, that sense of, it's like I know that God has got me gripped. I think someone prayed it earlier. It's like, I'm in his hand. And I know where I'm going. I know with certainty where I'm going. I know what is going to happen in the future, in that I know that I have an eternity with him, because I know that I'm loved. I know that I'm in. And I can be certain about that, because I've received the Spirit and because I continue to do so. Now, it's possible that you might be thinking something, you probably wouldn't phrase it quite like this, I might be deliberately simplifying it, but you might be thinking something like, well, oh, that's okay, but I'm kind of fine as I am. As in, that, that sounds like probably a good thing, but I'm not sure I need it. And I would sort of understand that. <laughs> You're managing to live at the moment, perhaps. Actually, well, you look like you are. Um, <laughs> And you're sort of not sure if this is something that that you need. Well, the first thing Jesus did, having ascended into power and majesty, was choose to give the Spirit to his people. He wants to give it to you. He thinks you need it. And I would really encourage you not to settle for where you find yourself. Even if that is okay, there's more. There is more. And if you want to later, when we invite you to respond, when people lay hands on you, you will discover that there is more because you will encounter the Spirit and your life will be changed and you'll never be the same again. So what if you do that, what might happen? What might happen? Well, in the passage that I read, uh, they responded with tongues and prophecy. Those are both things that might happen. It's probably helpful to say that they're not the only things that might happen and you don't have to have had those to have encountered the Spirit. There's quite a variety, actually, of things at different occasions in the Bible that this happens to people that, that seem to happen. So it might be that you speak in tongues. It might be that you prophesy. It might just be that you're filled with joy or peace or hope or a kind of feeling that you don't really know how to describe, but there's something happening. And you're just, you know, something is happening, even if you don't quite have the words to describe what, what that is. Or I've seen people break out in dancing, I've seen people weep. Those are both perfectly good reactions. The Bible uh, a few times describes what happens when we, when we kind of meet with the Spirit as being a bit like when you get drunk. In fact, what happens when you drink too much alcohol is a counterfeit version of what happens when you get drunk with the Spirit as Paul puts it in Ephesians. So that, that kind of sense of your inhibitions are going and you kind of feel a bit light and you're kind of quite happy and you're a bit bolder than you might have been before, all of that is often what it feels like for people when they encounter the Spirit. Now, that whole package of all the things I've said is probably not what will happen to you. Some of it might. But something will happen and you will know that It has. Now, if I say all that, some of you who are kind of thinking, like, I know this is me, but I'm, I'm a bit scared, which actually I think is understandable, might be thinking, Tim, am I going to do something a bit weird? That's a good question. Might I, you know, I kind of, I don't want to let go. I'm a bit worried about losing control. Or maybe even I'm worried about what I might say to God if I told him how I really felt. I understand, actually, if you feel like any of that. I think that's quite an understandable way to feel. So I guess the answer is, is yeah, you you might do something a little bit weird. And and you might lose control. Well, you probably will lose control to an extent. Um, I mean, your control's an illusion anyway. Uh, Sorry to... uh, burst your bubble but it is um (laughs) but think of it this way because what you're really asking i think if you're thinking any of those things is is will it be safe so what will be happening is that the god of the universe who is your father has said that he wants to give you a gift of him living in your heart living in your soul living in your bones Which means that when he's giving that to you, you will be as firmly in the palm of his hand as you've ever been. Yes, it's safe. Of course, it's safe. No, you might feel a bit strange, and you may not entirely be sure, but not you're in control. In fact, in a sense, you do need to give up control. Well, that's what you kind of what you're doing, but it's very safe. There is nothing safer. So how do you do that? How do you do that? Well, Jesus, helpfully, in John chapter 7, gives us three conditions uh, that we need to to meet. So let's have a look at them, and then we'll give you an opportunity to receive if you'd like to. John chapter 7, verse 37. On the last day of the feast, this is uh, the Feast of Booths, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet, the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So now, Jesus has been glorified. In John's language, that means he's died, he's he's risen back to life. And the Spirit has been given. So therefore, what Jesus is offering is now available to us. Wonderful. So what are his three conditions? What does he say? If anyone thirsts, so condition number one, you need to be part of the category of people, anyone. <laughs> so what I would like you to do is ask yourself the question, am I part of anyone? And the correct answer is yes. If, uh, if anyone was struggling a little bit. <laughs> but we can, we can think almost like that might not be true. So somehow this is a thing for sort of special people or particularly kind of crazy charismatic people. Or, or actually what you're thinking is maybe it just, it wouldn't happen to me. Tim, I can't respond because if I do, it won't happen. Well, what you're saying, though you don't mean to, is, or well, maybe you do, but it is that you're afraid that the Father doesn't love you the same way that he loves others. And so maybe it won't happen. But he says, anyone, anyone, if you're part of anyone, if you are one of his followers, then he loves you more than you could possibly grasp. He says, anyone can receive. Condition number two. If anyone thirsts, you need to be thirsty which is a lot like saying, you need to want it. So you've got to be part of anyone, which you are, so you tick in the box number one, you've got to want it. Which if you choose to respond, you do. Um, now, if you, if you don't want it, then I would encourage you to talk that through with someone. And actually, to search the scriptures, and see whether or not what I'm saying, <coughs> that this is what Jesus wants for us, is True. Because I believe in dynamic, experiential Christian life where we encounter the Spirit over and over again because it's what this book says. And then it's what I found to be true. But if actually I don't want it is code for I'm scared, then please don't hold back. Go for it, encounter Him. If you're scared, okay. But this is an encounter of love and perfect love casts out fear. You won't stay scared. Ask Jesus even now for the courage to respond in a moment when we give you the opportunity to. And third and final condition, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. You need to come and drink. Which actually means it's not automatic. It's not sort of like if it's like a great, I'll just sit here and wait. That probably isn't going to work. But it is easy. It's a bit like if someone invites you to their home for dinner, in order to eat the dinner, you have to go to their home and you have to eat the dinner. Uh, you You don't have to take it with you. You don't have to be a special kind of person. You don't have to have sorted yourself out. They've invited you for dinner. So Jesus has invited you because you're part of anyone and you want it. So he's invited you to have this. All you've got to do is turn up and eat it which for you tonight will look a lot like when Duncan in a little bit says, come to the front if you want to have this, Coming to the front. Or to put it a different way, really, what coming and drinking looks like is asking. So you've got to want it, you've got to ask for it. Now, we don't normally, we don't really mean it if we ask for stuff we don't want, so you could just put it, that the condition is, you've got to ask for it. It's kind of that simple. It doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what you're like. You don't have to be worthy because none of us would manage to be worthy of God living inside us. You don't have to be special beyond the fact that you are special because you're one of the Father's children and he has chosen you personally. you just got to ask. He says it is a free gift, not the kind with strings attached, the genuinely free gift, which is actually the only kind of gift Jesus gives. (laughs) Just gives and he gives. A bit like when you got if you know him, when you first got saved, when you met him, a free gift he just gave to you. It's exactly the same. Just ask and you'll find that he gives. And he gives and he gives. It is that simple. So what's gonna happen now is the band are gonna come up. And um, if you'd like to, you can receive. So start asking yourself some questions if you haven't been already. Do you want this? Are you thirsty? Did you receive the Spirit when you believed? And if not, would you like